if death by dinosaur was unavoidable for you, yeah, which dinosaur are you choosing? Like you get the option. Huh. Um, you know what? I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the T Rex, and I'll tell you why. Wow. I'll tell you why. Because there's two ways to go, but I want one particular way. And that one particular way is being stepped on. And I'll tell you why. Because if I'm stepped on, I'm pretty sure it's instant death. Like, just like, uh-huh. you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. And yeah, and that, you know, that's it. Boom. Boom, diggity. You're done. That's it. It's over. But being thrown in the air and chewed in half, there's probably a chance that I'll survive and then be burned alive in the stomach. So that's why I'd rather be stepped on. Just stepped on. Let's call it a day. You know? Yeah. I don't like the idea of being chewed either. Yeah. No. It's... Like raptors, they'll chew through you. They'll go mm. work fast, but they, you'll still feel all that. Stepped on is instant. It's just, there you go. I hope it's instant. Yeah. I want to get, uh, I would choose a triceratops because it's my favorite. Oh, yeah. um, and I would, because I know he wouldn't eat me because he's an herbivore, but. I would get him to like charge me and he charges me with his horn and he like hits me and I go flying into like a tree and I hit my head and I die. Okay. That works too. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That would be, that would mark for instant death as well. Mm -hmm. Charged and knocked out that way. So, so I have to ask, cause I need to know before we, we kick things officially off where and how is this music going to be played? Cause you came up with a new song. I did. Uh, for this show. Um, I wasn't sure if you're ready to announce it yet or not, but I assume it's going to be in post, I imagine. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's the same. Our normal intro and outro music that we play on Infinity, we, uh, Infinity Rewatch, which is the show you're watching now and listening to now. Uh, I replaced it for all of our X-Men um, videos. It's going to be replaced by a more X-Men appropriate electric guitar 90s sounding riff. Uh, because the original one was written to kind of sound like a copyright-friendly version of the MCU theme, right? Bum, 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 right, that whole thing. But this one is a little bit of a copyright-friendly version of... Because, I mean, I'm not as talented as whoever wrote that. You know, it's it's funny. I As much as I love that intro, that, that, anim- that X-Men animated series intro... I gotta say, it's not my favorite. It's it's good, wow. but it's not my my favorite. Is the pilot episode because that intro is so metal and it's so, it hits you so hard that you're just and I'll do it. I'll I'll happily do the whole thing because I know it so well. Let's but hear it, it starts off like X Men save the day, X Men coming your way, and then it kicks off like Magneto's horns are on the way to pillage, burn, and plunder. But there's one team that will not yield, a team that treads like thunder, and it, and, it, and that's it. It's that's the theme, and it, but I love it. It's so good, and it just gets you so jacked. I know why you like it. It's because it sounds like an '80s theme song where the the song is telling you the plot. Right. Oh yeah. It sounds like Cobra's attacking. I watched that that intro you sent me, and man, was that ever something, brother? (laughs) Was that ever an experience? (laughs) That's how. That's it, man. But that honestly, there's an art to doing intros like that, where they literally tell you the entire plot in the intro, and then give you '80s metal sprinkled on top of it to give you everything you need for a show. And it's it matches all. It meets all your expectations. It's great. We need to bring that back. Yeah, that that has to make a comeback. Intros that tell you what the show is about. 
Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you top three right out of the gate, okay? Captain mm-hmm. Power, Soldier of the Future, okay? X-Men, all right, the, the 80s intro. And then, of course, Reboot. Oh, yeah, Reboot was just Bob talking, too. Yeah, he yeah. talked through the whole thing. They didn't even try. They were just like, yeah, here you go. Here's a microphone, Bob. Just tell the kids what it's about. Tell, tell us what you do, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cindy, I protect the mainframe. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. I love it. Um, but yes, but today, I mean, let's go back to the best theme song of all, which is X-Men. And that's what we're talking about today, am I right? I'm Andrew Fantasia. What's up? I'm Ryan J. Whitehead. And this Captain is not, X. you are Captain X, and this is not just Infinity Rewatch. This is Infinity Rewatch X! I can't believe we've gotten here. We're here. It's happening. We're here. Oh, what a journey it's been. What? A, first of all, we have to still like just give props to the MCU for bringing this whole, sh- the, you know, wonderful thing together. This whole experience, a uh, smorgasbord of wonderful comic book love. Um, but we have now gotten to a point where Feige needs a little bit of a break. You know, needs to put his house in order a little bit. Mm-hmm. And what a great opportunity to go back to where it all began, where Feige was just a humble production assistant during this time. And uh, yeah, we're kicking it off with like the first, what I will what I will dub the first modern superhero movie. Yes, absolutely. It was the first Hold one on the new to millennium. your butts. Hold on to your butts. And a quick postscript before we start. When you said humble production assistant, it looked like you did uh, like a kata move with your hands. Mm-hmm. And I need to say, if you have not watched the Ninja Trilogy yet from the early 80s, Ryan, they are spectacular in all caps mm-hmm. okay they mm-hmm. are so fun oh dude i i need to watch those with you i need to uh that's it we need to do this yeah 100 yeah. we need to do this when i come back we'll, we'll find some time um and uh yeah no i watched your documentary on the ninja thing mm-hmm. it was long but it was worth every second of it and it was hard right? to believe that how everything influenced everything else and how everything was tied together is nuts. Nuts. We have that to thank for the Ninja Turtles, which turns 40 years old this year. Oh my God. That that just puts a little <laughs> that just that just dates us a little bit right there. Just added an extra couple grays to the old chin. Oh yeah. It's getting in there. You see it? It's all in there. Oh, that's looking nice though, sir. You got a nice logan-esque salt and pepper thing going on oh thank you oh thank you <laughs> we should only call each other bub for the remainder of this podcast <laughs> yeah bub let's do this so we watched x-men 2000 mm-hmm. um and i i mean okay first of all this movie came out july 14th in the year 2000 it mm-hmm. premiered though two days earlier on ellis island which is such a cool idea. Like, let's have the movie premiere where the climax takes place. I I don't think I've ever heard of that happening before or since. I never heard of that either, but that's such a brilliant idea. I mean, wow. Like, plus it's the X-Men too. Like the X-Men, um, you know, it, when the whole, when Marvel was going bankrupt, uh, roughly just uh, shortly before this time, um marvel was going bankrupt so what they decided to do and i've mentioned this on many mcu podcasts uh but what they decided to do was sell the rights 
to filming their characters. Now, Sony went in first uh, to the bidding wars. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, oh, yo, like, hey, head of Sony, we got like other properties here too. We got, we got Fantastic Four, we got X-Men. And Sony's like, get Spider-Man and get out. That's all I want. Don't, yeah. get, don't spend any more other money on anything else. It's not like Spider-Man. people are going to care about Iron Man. Just get the spider guy. <laughs> yeah, it was very Jay Jonas. Like, get my Spider-Man. Like, you know, <laughs> like, it, was, it was one of those things. And then Fox comes strolling in and Fox takes two properties. Uh, maybe three, but two properties. They took X-Men and Fantastic Four. And those were the top three properties of Marvel that drew in new people. Mm-hmm. They were like the, yeah, they were like the the lead, the A-team, the, you know, the, these were the three comic book series that really pulled people in that um, that you could guarantee success from. So, it, it, so it's interesting that you say that too, that when they premiered X-Men, they did something unique like that because it's a big deal. Like X-Men's not easy to pull off. In fact, the last time we saw something of X-Men in a real life platform was actually in a TV series. Uh, it was a TV made to TV movie back when the 90s, late 90s had these late TV movies, late night TV movies. And they did this weird spinoff called Generation X. And it involves skin. And he was super stretchy, kind of like Mr. Fantastic. But it had Emma Frost as well. Um, And it is really 2000s edgy, you know, uh, uh, very, um, you know, teen sexually driven kind of thing. But it was weird. It was very bizarre. Uh, but kind of cool. Kind of had that '90s graffiti look that you and I like with the movies, you know. Or I think it was '80s, '80s graffiti movie. Uh, but yeah, the smoke, a lot of neon colors. Uh, but yeah, so that was like the first real attempt we saw of the X Men, uh, and that was the closest we were gonna get till now. Yeah, I, I didn't even know that existed. That generation oh, X. Oh, buddy, yeah. it's a real treat to watch. Let me tell you. <laughs> wow, nothing like a good made-for-TV movie. Right, yeah. which I don't think exists anymore either, except Hallmark now. They've cornered the market uh, with this strange new world we live in. So yeah, all that, the rights and everything, Fox was like, no, we demand the X-Men, and they got it. And we ended up with the first modern, like you called it, exactly, first modern comic book movie. Um, how fitting that it was at the dawn of the new millennium. It became the millennium of comic book movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was directed by Brian Singer, who... I used to really admire as a director, and then it turns out he's not the greatest person in the world. So, too bad. Uh, screenplay by David Hayter. And I don't know if I've told this story before, Ryan, but uh, have I told you about David Hayter? Uh, I think you might have because we watched, I think we watched The Giver back when we used to hang out. Um, Giver 2 in college years. We didn't watch it, but I went over to your house one time and you showed me a scene from it. Oh, yeah. Great movie. Yeah. So good. Yeah. I still have to watch those. Uh, yeah. Every time I see like an image of a guy, it reminds me of you. Um, but yeah, David Hayter, I guess he worked on the Guyver then. I guess he was part of it. Uh, Hayter, Hayter was the main actor in the second one. I th- oh. maybe actually even the first one. Yeah. Oh, okay. So he was the Guyver. He was point. the Guyver. Um, okay. He was also Snake. Uh, he was also Solid Snake in the Metal Gear series. Uh, right. Famous, famous uh, voice actor for Snake. Uh, he had that really good raspy voice. Uh, fun fact about that: in order to, to perform the voice, he actually had to drink some really strong scotch to get his voice to a good raspiness. So he's like, "My name is Snake. 
but yeah, he was actually well known to be a really good writer. Um, so I'm, I actually did not know that he was a writer for this movie, but that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. I didn't know scotch could do that to your throat. That's kind of terrifying. Um, yeah, you should try it sometime. Well, uh, everyone yeah. of you boys welcome, acting. Uh, welcome to Infinity Rewatch, everybody. I'm Solid Snake. Uh, Metal Gear. What do you mean, Metal Gear? Uh, but Metal the, Gear. The David Hayter of it all. The fact that he wrote this screenplay. Um, I bring him up because my high school drama teacher, I, I won't say her name uh, on the show, but my high school drama teacher uh, used to date him when she was in high school. Um, yes, and actually, no, I do remember this. I do yeah, remember. yeah. She, re she remained friends with him. At one point, she even uh, got him, like he left her a voicemail on her phone for us. She's like, hey, can you, you know, you can't come to the school and talk to my students, but can you leave a voicemail for my students? And he was like, yeah, sure. So during one class, we got a voicemail message from David Hayter. Uh, I forget what he told us, but I, I was just too starstruck. Um, <laughs> and then eventually at Fan Expo, I met him. And I, I thought, I'm going to have some fun with this guy. So I, I saw this was like maybe this was the, maybe the last time I went to Fan Expo. So it might have been like 2019 or 2018 or something. It was not long ago. So I saunter up to the writer of X-Men and the voice of Solid Snake. And everybody who's there, like in the lineup, is talking about Metal Gear or whatever. So I completely throw this guy for a loop. And I'm like, hi there, David. And I shake his hand. <laughs> and I just say, we got a mutual friend. <laughs> like, oh my god did you leverage that so you can get an in in hollywood you mother trucker you I mother have. trucker i should have too uh no i just said we got a mutual friend david and he's like oh who's our mutual friend and i said my teacher's name and he gets this look on his face he's like oh wow and he's like wow yeah i'm a big fan of her and i'm like yes i know <laughs> Uh, and then that, that was it. We had a nice, pleasant conversation, and uh, I bid him adieu. But, uh, David, I know where you live. No, I don't. I don't, <laughs> I don't know where you live. David, I wish I knew where you live. Yeah. Uh, Hire us, please. Yeah. <laughs> I love that, though. Yeah, that, that, it's funny that you kind of have that degree of separation from uh, David Hayter. He's, a, yeah. he's an awesome, talented dude. Like, honestly, I'm surprised he's not in the spotlight a bit more, but... Yeah, I'm surprised too. And he seems like a nice guy. Um, he's, I mean, he's got like a lot of stuff to his name. He's, he's a prolific guy. And you're right. You don't picture him like you hear like, oh, the voice of Solid Snake also writes screenplays. Like what? Uh, so he bounces around a lot. He's exactly what I think both you and I would want to be like if we got into the industry. Like we'll do a little of this. We'll do some acting here. We'll do some writing there. We'll do some producing here, right? It's like anything and everything that we can do that we're we're interested in doing that we're passionate about doing absolutely so he so must have had sorry go ahead no so it's interesting uh i my big question to you was when and where well not when because like it's pretty specific when uh -huh. did you see it day one and which theater did you go to to watch it Ooh, yes this is the beautiful this is what i've been waiting for right because we were at a point in our lives ryan where we did not know each other when these films came out no, this was this was one of those things where we both have said it to each other very romantically. Uh -huh. uh, that uh, had we grown up, yes, we would have been very close friends and yes. probably would have saw this movie together. Oh for yeah, sure. we would have been like, oh my god, rah, rah. we would have gotten rides to the theater from our parents because we were, and then and then trading X Men cards on the way. Yes. Too. So I was unfortunately I could not tell you where I saw it. 
Um, back then, like today, I am directionally challenged where I really need GPS to help me get around. Back then, forget it. I was just like, I'm in a car and now I'm in a theater. I don't know where I am. But I do remember a lot of, you know, the, the circumstances of when the movie was coming out. And in particular, my favorite memory story of this film is the, the winter before it came out, because this was a summer movie, it came out in July. The winter before it came out, um, my mom would usually drive me to school, I think at that point, either that or the buses, whatever, but it was a snow day. Um, and I remember having been outside, whether it was in my mom's car or like out waiting for the bus, whatever, and then learning, oh, there's no ride slash no bus today because there's no school. It's, it's, the weather's too snowy. And you know, you're 11, so you're like, ah, yes. Uh, and so I like jump back into the house, right? And it's that it's early morning because you're about to leave for school. And my mom had the news on uh, and it's like the early morning, just CP24 news or whatever. And I come back in the house and I take my coat off, whatever. And she's, as I'm taking my coat off, my mom's like, Andrew, uh, they, they just announced, you know, the snow day, whatever. And she's like, but now look what they're talking about. And on the news, they were saying, there's an, a, a live action X-Men movie coming up. And I was like, the snow day just got even better. <laughs> <laughs> and I think they... It, they specifically were mentioning in the news because a big part of the movie was filmed here in Toronto. Uh, if I remember right, I think the uh, the local haunt known as the Roy Thompson Hall is what served as um, Xavier's mansion. If, uh, if memory serves, I could be wrong, but I think it was the Roy Thompson Hall where they filmed the interiors of his mansion. So it's it not was his mansion. It, it was the uh, it was the the, the press. Uh, the Senate hearing on on mutants in uh, in in America, and in the hallway was Roy Thompson Hall. That was the hallway of Roy Thompson Hall. When Magneto and and the professor talked to each other. Oh, okay, so that's that what it That's where the Roy Thompson Hall scene is. That's what it is. Okay, yeah. So it was a, a big deal up here uh, for Torontonians and everything. So it made the news and it made my snow day. It was incredible. Um, and then uh, when the movie was out, like I, I think the week, the week or weekend that it had come out, the news played a cl the clip of Storm shocking Sabretooth in the train station, and it, like it was just funny because you know the, it was such a big deal that a comic book movie was a coming out that it was it made the news and the news reporter was like, wow, here's this clip of Halle Berry giving this guy a real shock. And then <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> what about you? Where were you in your life when X-Men hit the waves? What do you remember uh, so, about this time? So I know, I know, I see, I don't have that detailed of a memory in terms of like, I'm pretty sure I was, I was gaming and just collecting trading cards and what have you at that time. But I remember the theater I went to and I remember that was the first time I started seeing movies like that four times in the theater. Like I would constantly find opportunities to go and go again. And it was funny. My parents would be like, why? You've already seen the movie. I'd be like, but I need to see it again. <laughs> like, oh, <you're> missed. <laughs> um, and it's funny because watching this movie again with more adult eyes and like, and just like 
constant exposure to just just kind of revisiting let's just leave it at that mm -hmm. but uh yeah it, you still there's still things you miss um so for me uh i remember seeing it at silver city in mississauga nice this was uh winston churchill and dundas uh it was by the it was by the bowling alley so it was uh it, for me uh at for where um for where i lit wait was where i lived no for me, I, I had to be driven there or take a bus, but I could walk uh, from my best friend's place to that theater. Um, and it was, yeah, just like, I just remember just being like mind equals blown. Like it was, it was one of those, you know, it's fair to say that Star Wars for us, we only pretty much caught on to like Return of the Jedi tops. Like that's, that's kind of how old we were for star wars so x-men was kind of like the star wars moment for me realizing that movies can be told in such a way so it was awesome to kind of have this interpretation of x-men now for me the the big thing here is is that yes this was a one-of-a-kind experience at the time so of course we can give it a lot of props for that very reason however uh that being said this was also the time when adaptations were a bit too far away from like its source material. And, and interesting enough, I, I remember doing research on this and Kevin Feige was like waving the comics and singer's face being like, follow the comic. You will mm -hmm. not go wrong. And there, and singer told everyone, Hugh Jackman, all the cast don't read the comics. We'll figure it out together. And, and, and again, it's not a terrible movie. It, yes, there's some bad things, it's flawed, very flawed, but it's not bad. It's for its first like modern superhero movie. It's kind of interesting. And it, it, when I was watching it, I actually really had some joy out of it. Like I was like, wow, they did some cool stuff. So, yeah. so yeah, it was, that was the time for me, but yes, that was the first time uh, I would go see movies like three or four times in theater movies like that. So it was, uh, it was quite the spectacle. It's funny you say that because I think this is the first non-Star Wars that I went back and watched again in the theater. Ah, okay. Because um, this was a year after Phantom Menace. So me, this guy, I was still riding the... Like, I'm still thinking of Watto and Pod Races and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Like, I, I am living inside mm -hmm. the Star Wars world at this point. Uh, well, like, keep in mind, yes, we were the prequel trilogy, but I meant like yes. the original, like the game-changing original. Yes, absolutely. I spent like most of 1996 and 1997 just thinking about the originals and watching them. And then when the prequels came, it was, I was just devouring that. So I was excited for X-Men, obviously, but, you know, I had no idea what to expect. None of us did. We didn't know superhero movies were going to become a thing. We, we had no frame of reference. I literally my brain was just like, I live in a world where I'm getting more Star Wars and that's all I could think about. Um, and then I went to go see X-Men with my mom, um, which was rare because usually I went to see movies with my dad. But for some reason, my mom was like, I want to take you to see this movie. I think because she remembered me watching the cartoon as a kid and she liked the music. Uh, the or she found out that Hugh Jackman was in it. <laughs> that was how, you know what? I, it wasn't Hugh. Eventually she was like, yeah, because of Hugh. But it was Patrick Stewart. Because she had a big crush on Patrick Stewart. Who doesn't? We all do. I mean, after watching him in TNG, man. Like... Right? Um, so I went with my mom. And then 
a couple weeks later, I remember my mom saying, oh, your older cousin Eric wants to take you to go watch X-Men again. And I thought that was like so cool because I never went to a movie with my older cousin Eric. Like that just, that wasn't something Eric and I ever did together. But Eric was like, yeah, I want to go see X-Men. I'll take Andrew. Uh, and he had a great time. I remember sitting next to him and when Wolverine pulls his claws out for the first time in the bar, I remember hearing my cousin audibly going like, holy shit. Uh, so like, I was like, oh, this is great. I'm I'm watching a movie with my cousin that I never get to go to the movies with. And I'm seeing this movie again. So it's funny. You and I both uh, X-Men was our gateway drug into return trips to the theater. Uh, aside from star Wars, which I had already, I think Phantom Menace. I saw three or four times, three, yeah, oh, three yeah. times. Phantom Menace, so I definitely remember seeing Phantom Menace two, at least two times, but like three or four was definitely X-Men for sure. Like nice. Marvel. And, Marvel. And with, with this rewatch of X-Men that I just did, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I've had this thing happen to me lately, and I'm sure you've had the same thing happen to you, Ryan, and I want to know what it was with. But lately I've been watching films that I haven't seen in a very long time, but that I used to watch very often. And I don't realize until I'm watching them and I'm like, I know every beat of this even though it's been over a decade, if not more, since I've seen it, I must have watched the hell out of this over and over. Uh, I did that with, I think I even mentioned it to you with the the dragon, the Bruce Lee story. I watched it back in like the summer or something. And it was just, it just hit me. So like, I almost started crying. I was like, I used to see this all the time. <laughs> I remember the music. I remember every note of this theme song. Uh, and it, it just hits you like, it's like they say, like riding a bike, even though I, I don't know how to do that. Don't tell anybody. Um, but have you ever had that where it's like you're revisiting a movie and you're like, this was, this lived rent free in my head once upon a time. And I know it. Oh yeah. No, I, I can tell you that one of the big ones for me already was, uh, it was TMNT2, man. Secret of the Year. <sighs> yes. Can you please text my mother and tell her exactly that? Because I always tell her that she has to watch TMNT 2, The Secret of the Year, and she just laughs at the it's, title. You know, I know a lot of Turtle fans. Like, my brother, to this day, will tell you that the first one is is, is the most accurate and, and his favorite Turtle movie. I humbly disagree. I think the best one is, is the sequel, only because of how much fun they have, and the humor is, like, I still laugh at the jokes in that movie because it's so funny. Um, I was having a, I was having a, a crazy filming day at work. We were taking a break between takes and having, having like a, like a good lunch break. Uh -huh. And we watched turtles, turtles too. And it was, just, uh -huh. Oh man, we were just laughing with the jokes. It was great. Did you see my New York video where I went to the spots from turtles too? Uh, I don't think it did actually. No. Okay, I have to send you the link. It's in there. I went to a bunch of spots, so they're they're big videos, but there's a couple of Turtles two locations in there that I think you'll. Oh, uh, it's yeah, it would, but yeah, that movie I could tell you beat for beat. Um, yeah, all the all the feels of that one. Yeah, oh, so good, so good. Oh, nice. But yeah, X Men definitely it hit me pretty hard with the with nostalgia. I I I would say I knew some of the beats, but there were still some moments that surprised me very much. So uh, watching this again, yes, absolutely. There's mm. moments where they kind of slip through the cracks and you're like, oh, I get to kind of almost experience that for the first time again. Yeah. And then there's other moments like that Roy Thompson Hall scene that 
are almost choreographed in, in my head where I can know right away he's going to be like, we're the future Charles, not them. <laughs> and like the way he taps his head, like, I'm sniffing around in here. Like that's yeah. all. Around. <laughs> like I know that to the point where I'm like, did I play Magneto once upon a time? <laughs> um, so we start off with something that I really miss. Ryan. The cheesy 80s CG graphics in the intro. The early 2000s CG credits. Because you oh, know what? God, I hated it so. You know what, my friend? They look like garbage. They look like hot garbage. But I will take hot garbage early 2000s CG credits over the MCU's choice of having no credits at all. I will, I will take ugly credits from 23 years ago over just opening the movie with no credits. Anytime. It's it's so funny that yeah, it's uh I, I hate wanna... when there's no opening titles in a movie. I know, but <laughs> I think it's because like they want to just get you into the, the rhythm, you know what I mean? Like the rhythm mm-hmm. of the film, whereas like the opening credits is like a spectacle. Like you're I don't know how else to describe it, but like it's kind of like a it's like an opening, right? Like it's it's it is exactly in its simplest form. Just an opening with music and some names. It de- but it doesn't sink you into the movie right away. No. Um, however, however, when it's done super right, like uh, the the Superman movie with Christopher Reeves, that intro, oh, that yeah. title credits intro gets me so jacked. Yes. Like that sets the tone. Mm. But later on, op- ugly opening credits, no, no. Mm-mm. I can't agree with that, sir. Because it, if it's done horribly wrong... You're waiting for the movie to go, like go 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 right, but at least give us the title. Just mm. show the title of the movie. There's no excuse not to show the title. That's just laziness. Yeah, it's true. So so for, I I hated the, the oh God. I loved and hated this this movie's intro because like the the 2000 CG was so so that time it just kind of hit me right into that. It put yeah. me in the zone for that. Yeah, but. What I did love was the was the speech from Xavier. That was yes. really cool because that to me was a great way to set the audience up for those who don't know what the world of X-Men is all about. Like he literally tells you the rules of what is considered a mutant uh-huh. right out of the gate. And that's uh and and there you go. Like that's he's he literally goes and that's that's mutant, so let's begin the movie. And yeah. then, like, that's what it feels like. And you just run from there. Just a couple of sentences. I think it's, like, 30 seconds, if not less, of just him saying, like, you know, mutation, blah, blah, blah. And then, boom, you're in the credits. Um, another baffling thing about these credits is the movie had a decent score. I actually really like a lot of the moments that the musical score gives you. But the credit music is baffling because it's so not exciting. X-Men 2, when we get there, man, those opening credits music is, that's a whole different story. But the music in these credits is almost like it's trying to put you to sleep. Like, I'm like, what's happening here? This does not match. And I couldn't help but think of of your your classic thing that you say, which I want to frame and put on the wall, which is, if the cartoon is doing it better than the movie, then what are you even doing? Right? <laughs> because how can they go from to be like, okay, how can we get the audience even more pumped up? How about a real slow violin? Yeah. 
power, guys. Yeah, it's oh man, it's it's so true. I'm glad you love my mantra so much because it's it still holds today as it did back then. Oh, if I ever have a dojo on my property, that's going. I'm gonna get somebody to frame it, write it in like ancient kanji, and put it up there. <laughs> Oh, yes. No, exactly. But it's true. Uh, it was a weird choice to do this kind of violin. But I think it's because because it being the modern superhero movie, it kind of felt like a transition uh, from like old superhero movies. Because you have, if you think about it, they're going to play by the rules of what made the last superhero movies great. So what were the last super great superhero movies? Well, you had Superman and then you had Batman. Um, uh, so... And yes, you could argue that like Batman Forever still technically counts as like a modern superhero movie, but it doesn't because it's riding off the tails of the 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 first two, which in my my mind is what cemented that era, the what's called a silver age of superhero movies, right? Yeah. Um, so Superman had the great orchestrated opening. And then Batman had kind of a darker version, but still played an orchestrated opening. So X-Men, it kind of made sense to be like, look, if we're going to do a superhero movie, uh, you know, we need to have our version. And even Spider-Man, same idea. Spider-Man had yeah. a nice orchestrated opening as well. So it kind of played to that. And, and I agree with you. I think they should have just done something different. Like, yeah, do like a heavy metal intro. Do something cool. Do something different. Or do an orchestrated uh do an orchestrated song but have a guitar like an electric guitar as part of it yeah there's a lot of different ways they could have gone and mm -hmm. i think they chose the way where they popped an ambient and then just uh let half an orchestra play but yeah. i mean there was a lot of pressure it being you know i don't know if they were actively trying to herald a new age of superhero blockbusters you would think that at least a majority of them were because they wanted to franchise this thing, right? So there had to have been so much pressure on the the way this movie starts, right? There had to be some uh, some kind of shorthand way in one scene to tell the audience, I know you guys are still hurting from Batman and Robin, but superhero movies can be more than just kid stuff if you take this ride with us. And I don't think they could have, chosen a more perfect way to open than the origin of magneto which i gotta say not only does it still give me goosebumps but it's still one of the best comic book movie scenes ever i like i'm not even there's no contest it is up there it's on like the mount rushmore of movie scenes I have to agree, uh, only because it speaks to Marvel's way of storytelling, which is like keeping it as close to uh, and basing it on real life events as possible. Um, but to the point where they even used it in the newer X-Men movies and they still use the same scene yes. uh, to, to do that, to do that moment. And it, yeah, you feel it. But what I love is it's like, it, def it just, it truly cements um it truly cements like mutants living in that world and and the shock of it and it, and you, you kind of have this like <gasps> like it, and you kind of you know you kind of everyone like the the people in that moment in that scene uh like the characters in that scene and you the viewer are all experiencing the shock of this kid's power 
uh, and like, holy crap, right? And they knock him out. Oh. And then they don't even let you catch your breath. You're still like, oh my God, this is a comic book movie. And then right away, you're in Mississippi. You see what looks like a nice scene. And it ends with a boy almost dying and a girl just like sobbing in a corner, like, don't touch me, don't touch me. Mm-hmm. And that's the scene. That's that's Rogue. That's how we meet Rogue. Uh, and I noticed something I've never noticed before is that the Rogue scene has green and yellow filters over it. I did not notice that. That's actually really cool. I didn't know. Um, I I would say, though, Rogue for me, uh, it was hard for me to swallow the fact that Rogue, this is like pre-Captain uh, Marvel Rogue, so she has a general flight, she doesn't have her strength, um, she just has her power. Uh, so the, it kind of is awkward. Um, they actually kind of took in, um, kind of took a Jubilee story a little bit and then just made it Rogue's and then did it that way. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of it was kind of like oh, okay like whatever, uh, but it was nice that they pointed to Canada like ooh Canada's a part of the film yeah go Canada, uh, but yeah it's true it's it's crazy that they did these beats of like you know Magneto's powers to um, to uh, Rogue's powers but for me it is the senator uh, the Senate hearing scene on mutants and how dangerous they are yes. it is it is such a great way to establish you know, the state that the world's in. And I love that Jean Grey is there and she's like talking to everybody being like, yeah, you know, um, you know, it's, uh, we don't like just, just defending mutants. I can't remember her, her argument stance, but, but I love that uh, Senator Kelly is like, no, we need to register them. We need to, you know, identify them. And, um, and yeah. And then he talks about Kitty pride being able to run through walls. Uh, and then uh, they talk about professor X powers and it's it's just such a perfect scene to set up the world of X-Men. If I were to pick one moment, the, like the first kind of dialogue that sets up everything, you could not have picked a better scene. You could. I, there's nothing. The, you could have done, you know, Rogue coming to the mansion for the first time or, you know, like parents dropping off their kids at Xavier school. All that could have happened, but no. You chose the greatest moment of tension between uh, humanity and mutants. It's so, oh, I can't, I can't gush anymore about it. If it's yeah. one thing this movie did extremely well was first of all casting certain characters, mm-hmm. poetry, and then uh, capturing scenes that really put you in the world. They, they those two things, I like overall, like the movie's overarching story. Eh. But like certain moments, oh yes, yes. These three scenes, one after another, the, the concentration camp, rogue, and then the Senate hearing is like it's them going boom, boom, boom. This is not kid stuff. This can be serious, but it can also be fun, but it can also be very interesting and entertaining. It's been a long time since I watched the Superman movies. Um, I really want to go back and visit them because they're fun, but I don't think there was ever a scene in any of those four movies where like the government sat around and said, we're scared of this guy because he can do stuff that humans can't. Right. I don't think there was ever a scene like that. No, it was always through the lens of the newsroom. They never, the government never really, not to like the second one. I think the government was more of a role in the movies. I I don't know. I can't really remember too, too well. But yeah, no, the first one I remember because it, it was all through the newsroom. They wanted to know, like, what's his name? What does he like? Yeah. You know? It was, it was, I like, 
idol tree. It was, oh my God, we adore this guy. He's a celebrity. Yeah. Uh, and then this takes the idea of being superheroes and casts it in a more real world light of there's people who's going to be afraid of them. There's people who are going to hate them because they're afraid of them. Uh, and I mean, it's America, right? The land of you're different. So we're going to hate you. Uh, so they like that story was in the comics for a long time and they mm -hmm. zeroed in on it very wisely. And we get this great concept of Senator Kelly, who, by the way, if that actor has never played Jerry Springer, he needed to play Jerry Springer. Uh, <laughs> the first time I saw it as a kid, I was like, is Jerry Springer in this movie? Yeah. Um, but then that seeds right into our first time seeing adult Magneto and Professor Charles Xavier. Talk about two perfectly cast actors. It's right. so, it's so, it, it, it's, it's like, I don't know. It's so surreal because uh, they captured, they, the casting was so good for them because they captured the relationship um, that I think is very hard to do. Uh, the cartoon did it extremely well as mm -hmm. well, but like to, to be able to replicate that relationship and, and give it that sincerity and and more importantly, the respect that these characters have for each other um, is oh man, it's so hard to capture. But they did it, man. They they did it. Uh, I I remember even putting in my notes that like um, how did I say it? But I was just like, oh yeah, love that. I just put love that Magneto Xavier beginning like, and I love that. It's and it's perfect because it ends on him walking. It it's just the lines like. I, you're searching up here. What are you looking for? Mm. I'm searching for hope. And he's like, I'll bring you hope. It's just, oh, yeah. it's, it's so oh, back and forth. I love it. I love it. it. It's one of my favorite relationships in uh, any superhero story. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, we've talked about dream casting for the MCU, but I feel like if the MCU doesn't get that relationship right, then it's already doing worse. It's, it's a waste. It's, it's yeah. just a waste. And I don't know, I can't remember if you or I had a dream cast actor for Magneto. Um, but no, I did, I did, but I, I wanted Fastbender to, to keep going. Oh, you wanted Fastbender. Okay. Um, I, I don't think I did. I could be wrong. But when watching this movie, which again, I have not seen since at least college, if not earlier. Right. At least I might not have seen this since I've met you for all I can remember. Uh, but when watching it, when looking at Magneto for the first time, he gives off Ben Mendelssohn vibes, the way he looks and carries himself in this film. And it's too bad Ben Mendelssohn already plays Talos because I'm thinking of how he is and like the way he looked in Rogue One with the cape, like he cuts a striking figure in a cape. He could play a great Magneto. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, Ben Ben Mendelsohn for sure. He has the he has the elegant voice for it too. Like mm -hmm. just uh, yeah, no. But that scene, oh, just speaks speaks volumes. Um, but yeah, I loved I love that they started with the Friends of Humanity arc and and how mutants are dangerous. The other thing I like in the story, and they do uh, again, they really do some kind of nice moments. Could they have taken it further? hundred percent, they could have. But the the comments that Jean Grey was making that are like you know, they're, these people are not dangerous, you know? Mm -hmm. She's like, that's an unfair question. She's like, and she's like, anyone with a gun is dangerous, right? And I love that there's a kind of a tie there to like, you know, guns are dangerous. And they're yeah. like, they're even, she's like, 
she's like, yeah, but you know, and then he's like, yeah, but we give people a license to, uh, we give people a license to drive. And, and her argument was like, yeah, but you know, you don't teach them like, it's like there's so many good back and forth rules of of safety and 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 how safety works and yeah and i would love to see them do a similar scene today like if the mcu could tackle that scene because you know given the the climate i mean it is what it is people don't get offended here but given the climate that scene made today they would make a point of saying that the senator kelly figure is a right wing figure um, and Kelly himself makes a remark where he says, I don't see people or whatever. I just see weapons in our schools and the double standard of a right wing figure campaigning on that and saying, these people are weapons in our schools. And then at the same time saying guns are fine though. Like that needs to happen in the new X-Men. Oh, but that's the, that's the beauty of X-Men is they really tackled those subjects because like, because of the different uh age groups within the comic like you have the students but you also have like young adults and you have older mm -hmm. adults right um but yeah and then like he talks about yeah he talks about like yeah but like oh i remember it's you teach them or, or you give them a license to drive. we give them a license to drive but she's like yes but you don't give them a license to live yeah and that that was uh that was a really kind of nice bah, bah, bah. Oh, but, i could but, i could watch a whole movie where the entire movie was just one at a time, every yeah. X-Man takes the stand and argues against Kelly. <laughs> like, I, oh, so yeah, no, 100%. But, like, but, yeah, so I love that. And then I love that he talks about how mutants can jump into our mind and, like, you know, make us, like, change our very thoughts and make us do things. And I love that it cues over to Xavier because, again, people in the back of the audience, they didn't know who he was. Mm -hmm. It literally gives you that moment, right? So I really love that. And I got to say, this movie, um, this movie really kills character intros in the best way like they they do the best character intros for everything because we have this beautiful gene gray intro at the senate hearing uh would have loved to have seen beast actually that would have been a really another oh. if you wanted to take that scene one step higher beast would have been a great character to have at the senate hearing uh which we'll kind of find out later on uh but uh xavier magneto uh, I do like Rogue's intro because if, yeah. if you're going to set up what how scary her power is, it's scary. But, you know, I got to say, if you're going to talk about the, one of the best character intros, man, Wolverine's intro is like, if you could pick any moment in his entire, in his entire comic book career to introduce a character, a man cage fighting couldn't have picked a better, <laughs> better situation for it um fun notes is uh the guy who drops off rogue uh in the truck uh and she's like this is laughlin city yeah and she's like yeah this, the guy's like yeah this is laughlin city that's the voice of beast no way yeah that's the voice of beast isn't that funny i was looking at him and i'm like do i know this guy from somewhere but it's his voice I, wow he actually when you hear him say it you kind of you pick up the beast accent Oh, uh, but man, yeah, they, cool. the Wolverine friggin' and cage fighter. Whoever thought that was <laughs> really thinking that day. Let me tell you, because that was brilliant, and I love it because like he's he's this like nomad, right? And like mm -hmm. again, what would a guy who has like lived as long as he has has instant healing generation, but he has this depression of all these things he's carried. Like he's he's lived through World War II, you know, like he's lived through all of this, and he's still super young. Anyone he's known is either dead or like, you know, 
cybernetic with super long deadly nail thingies um but he's seen the world over and over and so where does someone like that go you'd want to get that experience beaten out of you and it's just perfect like it's just he fights us all the time it's great i love it right and like well remember too he's lost a lot of his memories pre-weapon x too so he's just like i think i'm this i could be that and he's just he, he doesn't like the idea of, of himself as a as a person because he knows there's something wrong well, because with he him. knows he's a weapon right yeah like he, he always has kind of come to the actualization that he is nothing but a weapon that's it yeah so he he lives this very lonely lifestyle and we we get to meet him that way and how funny is it that the first x-men movie and the first spider-man movie both have a cage match in it um it's true I, th- I thought that was really interesting i never saw that before uh mm-hmm. but we get this great and on top of the great intro it takes place in canada because yay um we even see an old five dollar canadian bill in the tip jar we uh, do we do yeah, those are not around anymore i liked those old bills man they were nice there was, they, they were, were classy looking bills uh we used to also have i my dad might still have that old two dollar bill that we used to have but yeah yeah yeah, good times. Um, yeah, no, I loved it. And I loved, uh, again, when Wolverine, uh, you already said it, but when Wolverine first brings out his claws. But I have to say, the one thing that I both loved, it, it's such a love-hate relationship, but it was like they did Wolverine so right that it just became about Wolverine. And yeah. like took away from the X-Men. Yeah, and I remember this from the games, from from the, uh, the, the cartoons post this movie. It was all, it, it went from X-Men to just Wolverine and the X-Men. And it's like, okay, we get it. You know, everyone loves Wolverine. Mm-hmm. You don't have to slap it in our faces. But it, it became almost, in my mind, it became almost a bit too ridiculous. But to be fair, on the love side of it, it's just because they did it so right. They did, if Out of all the characters, if you were to take away, if you were to take away anything you wouldn't like in this film, you literally left with Magneto, Charles Xavier, uh, and Wolverine, like really, if you if you strip it down to the, like the major characters who have the most impact and and have like the best delivery, those three characters, like Jean Grey is a great character, and I, the the actress they casted, a perfect actress for it. But at the same time, like she she was kind of like even, or actually I'd even throw in Storm. Actually, you know what? I was unfair for me not to call Storm. Like Halle Berry was a great choice as well, uh, but. Uh, but again, they didn't take Storm the character as far as they could have gone because, like, from what my brothers told me about the comics, like he is the out of in the Marvel in the terms of the Marvel comics, out of the two of us, my brother and I is the X Men fan. Like this guy can recite Fantastic Four and X Men comics all the live long day, and there are some Storm stories he told me about that are just amazing, and mm-hmm. and the, the movies haven't even scratched the surface of this character like just not even not even close it's it's so crazy but going back to the point on wolverine um this is the one this is one of the biggest characters they got right and just it became it became all about him yeah and i mean i get it he's he's always been a really popular one um but i've always liked the idea of x-men being an ensemble thing that was my favorite thing about the cartoon is Mm -hmm. you know you watch a new episode you never know what it's going to be about. Oh, this one Cyclops goes to an old West town and it's just, we're just following Cyclops around. Oh, this one's about Rogan Gambit. Cool. Um, this so, one's about Colossus. Yeah. Colossus. And, and 
the the X-Men are always a unit, they're always a team, but you're just kind of following them on these separate journeys of their lives. And that to me is the beauty of that team dynamic. So yeah, to focus 15 of these movies on Wolverine is a little bit extreme, but I get it. I mean, you've got Hugh Jackman, he's great. He plays the part well, you nail the character. It's hard to nail comic book characters, but they nailed this one, costume notwithstanding. So yeah, I get why they would want to milk him. Um, but we we get this beautiful intro to him and uh, have him team up with Rogue. And it's it's very cool and it's very satisfying. And then in particular, the scene in his RV where they're, they're driving together. I don't know if you felt the same way, Ryan, but I always felt like back in the day, you don't get this feeling anymore, but back in the day, whenever there would be a TV show or a cartoon or whatever, and they would adapt it into a live action movie, you always get that feeling of like, well, the movie is going to go above and beyond and do things that we never expected before. Like for example, the Casper movie, when they made the Casper movie with Christina Ricci, it was a big thing of like, oh my God, we get to see Casper, what he looked like when he was alive. We get to see boy Casper. Like they, they always took it to the next level and gave it a reason for existing as a movie. With X-Men, for me, and tell me if it was the same for you, but for me, it was this scene right here in this RV because this scene to, to the little kids who were running around at the time being X-Men fans, this scene answered two big mysteries that had never been solved in the, in the cartoons or as far as I know in the comics, maybe in the comics, everybody already knew this, but to me, a guy who just knew it from the show was we got to learn Rogue's real name because everywhere else it was always, you know, every book I had, whatever, it always said, Rogue's real name is unknown. We don't know what her real name is. We just call her Rogue. But we find out her name is Marie. And on top of that, we answer the question of, do those claws hurt when they come out? Every time. Like, that back and forth between them, oh, man, it, it's still probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It's true. That was, it's the, that's when minor details like that really do provide clarity. Um, I am not a fan of prequels that over explain unnecessary little things that I don't need to worry about. Mm -hmm. Like a Kessel run. I don't, I don't (laughs) think I need to know why it's, I I assume it's just a really impressive feat that he accomplished. And that's all, that's all I need to know. I don't need to see the events happen, but you're right. It, this is one of those details that it's nice to know. And it it really helps layer in this character and why he's always so short with people. Because he's in constant pain, this guy. Like, <laughs> but he's in he's in emotional pain, doesn't know why. He's in physical pain all the time because if he needs to defend himself, he needs to pull out the claws, right? Now, I love the RV scene as well uh, because, again, we get, we get the X-Men doing their thing, which is really cool. It was, it was a good intro. Not cage fighting good, but it was a good intro. Um, uh, but here's where some of the flaws really started, like make me go, make me start to worry about where this movie was going. So um, I, I love that Wolverine comes out. You see his instant healing as he goes through the window, uh, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. And a guy with instant healing, why would he wear a seatbelt? Yeah, great. exactly. Um, yeah, and uh, but he uh, Sabretooth attacks him. And uh, and this is where it bothers me because, of course, if you've watched the cartoon, you know that that relationship, whoo, that's that yeah. relationship. Uh, 
In fact, they they actually get it right in probably what is argued the worst Wolverine movie is when they finally get that relationship right. Oh, um, we, I got things to say when we get there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's I like the look of Sabretooth. I think that was a good approach. Uh, I think it was the right idea to hire kind of like a wrestler to have the stocky build of, of Sabretooth and just make him really hairy and kind of creature-like. Uh, but man, they nerfed that character. Whew. It is nerfed him hard, uh, but it was fun to see Storm and Cyclops and the rescue, and that was really fun. And then, uh, and then um, the other thing I don't like is when when he comes, uh, Sabretooth keeps the dog tags, and Magneto's like, "Oh, where's the mutant now?" And he's like, "With them." And he's like, "Huh?" And and Sabretooth takes the the dog tags, and he's he seems very possessive of it. But what bothers me is that Wolverine, uh, when he's at Xavier's school, being introduced to the, the school and everything, um, you know, Xavier tells him that, like, oh, the other the other mutant, Sabretooth, he's told who the mutant is, which worries me because I'm like, well, why, then why does Sabretooth care about the dog tags? Like, does Sabretooth remember? Like, there was no context to their relationship aside from Xavier telling Wolverine that that was Sabretooth. And that bothered me. Right out of the gate, because I'm like, well, there's a whole chunk of great storytelling from the, the cartoon that's not going to be in here. Yeah, if they were building towards something with that, they obviously never followed through. And I mean, the Sabretooth Wolverine thing, all I know is what I've seen in the show. And I know in the comics, it gets even crazier and it goes farther back. But I'll say this. I think that the choice they made to make Wolverine and Sabretooth strangers in this movie is almost as bad as the choice they made in 2014 to have Splinter and Shredder not have a history. Like, it it boggles the mind. It is gift wrap for you to be like, here's conflict, here's stakes, here is characters, like background and, and story mm-hmm. arcs. It's there. Okay, it's but you have those characters interacting in your script. What are they going to do? Yeah, they'll figure it out. They will find a way to make conflict. It, it's so weird. It was so weird. Uh, but fun fact, when Wolverine's being introduced in the school and he goes to meet Xavier for the first time, and then you see Kitty Pride uh, pick up the books and run through the door, um, if, you, if you realize what Xavier's talking about, he's actually tap, tapping on alternate reality. He's oh. talking about alternate reality. Because he's teaching them physics. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it's it's uh, there's it's a fancy word he says. But if you if you actually go back and you know read about what he's talking about, he's talking about the possibility of two points existing in different vibrations of reality. Ah, there. You, imagine they show that scene again in like Captain Marvel three or something. Um, and oh, in the dog tag scene, there's another thing that I never noticed until now. Uh, so Magneto's got that little perpetual motion thing on his desk. And when Sabretooth grabs the, the thing and he wa- the dog tags and he walks out, Magneto has just left. And the things fall apart. They just they clatter and fall off the table. And I didn't realize until right now that those things were only moving because Magneto was making them move. It wasn't a thing that he like like a normal office thing that you just click and it goes. Magneto was using his powers, but he left the room. And so they just crumbled because they were, it was literally to show us how powerful he is, is that he's holding up that thing 
with almost mm. no concentration while he talks to Sabretooth. I was like, oh, that's cool. I totally missed that every other time. Yeah, no, I saw it the first time. <laughs> nice. Uh, no, it, but it's because of the magnetic field he's around. Yeah. Him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's so, so yeah, so that was really cool. Um, yeah, the, the school was really fun. It was nice to see, it was nice to see, nice to see the context of seeing the X-Men teach the kids, which was really kind of fun. I really like that. Um, the, the, uh, the other sequence is, uh, capturing Senator Kelly. Mm -hmm. This is an interesting scene because, I didn't know this the first time. I missed it. I missed it. I've heard it a thousand times, but I missed it. The person he's talking to that Mystique transforms from. Do you know the name of that person? Yes. I Now, this is funny because it's the opposite. This is something that I caught the first time I ever watched it, too. That's Henry Geirich. That's Henry Geirich. And in the yeah. cartoon, he's a major character. Yes. In the, in the, even in uh, comic books, this dude's a major player in, in the X-Men world. And he's reduced down to a cameo. Um, and I didn't know. I was like, and I realized because Magneto says, oh, Mr. Gyrick's been dead for some time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and I just like, I had that moment of like, oh my God, he's talking about Henry Peter Gyrick. Yeah. Like, holy shoot. <laughs> um, and I was like, what the hell, man? Like, why would you do that? And so, but I guess it's the only way. And here's the other thing. I, 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 as a teenager, I was like, hell yeah. But nowadays, I'm like, why was Mystique naked? I don't get it. I didn't get it then, and I still don't get it now. Yeah, I feel I feel bad for Rebecca Romaine. I mean... Why wouldn't they give her that nice, like, white little gown thing that she wore? Like, you know? Yeah, I don't know what special makeup effects were like in 1999, but I, I'm sure there was a way to get her to look like that. Yeah, without having her having to run around naked, um, yeah. I mean, she she plays a killer mystique though. She's so entertaining, especially in part two. They even they give her more room to shine. But yeah, I remember being in the theater when Magneto says that line. Mister Gyrick has been dead for some time. I was like, <gasps> uh, I wasn't expecting that level of detail. And I made a note the other day when I watched the movie that I will bet you any money, Ryan, this was a contribution from Kevin Feige. Like the producers, whatever Brian Singer, were probably like, okay, we have a, a character who's just a guy who's here with the senator, and he's gonna, it's not even really gonna be him, it's gonna be Mystique, whatever. Kevin seems like, based on what you've told me about how he was on set, seems like he would have been the guy to be like, can we call him Henry Geirich? Because that's a thing. And Brian Singer's like, sure, whatever, I'm here being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you got to understand too. You know who Kevin Feige learned from? Lauren Schuler Donner and Richard Donner. Richard Donner. Mm -hmm. So this guy comes with weight, like like big weight. Um, but yeah, no, it's true. But they did a good job of keeping Mystique important, having a really great role, and Rebecca was amazing. Like she did a yeah. fantastic job. I love her voice too. Actually, that was another interesting thing: is the delivery of the lines was a great way it was just a really great idea she's doing so much with so little mm. and and there's like it doesn't surprise me that when they went back and did like the prequels they made mystique a big deal because if if not for what rebecca romaine added to this just the look in her face of like people like you are the reason i was afraid to go to school as a child like you know there's so much pain mm. in that woman's life because of how she looks 
Yeah. And and she carries that through in this whole trilogy. Uh, it's yeah, she she rocks. She's a yeah. perfect mystique. Now the the next thing is, is that of course uh, the 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 villain plot of um, was the villain plot of uh, Magneto turning everyone into a mutant. Uh, you know, it's a good comic book plot. Uh, I I don't get the science of how his machine works. To be honest with you, I, I don't. I don't understand. even think Magneto gets the science of how his machine works. I think you're okay. Perpetuates his DNA to modify everyone else's DNA. I guess it's the best thing I can say. <laughs> I don't it, know. it sure is a plot. I mean, I I mean, it, let, let's call it what it is. It's probably the weakest part of the movie, right? This whole just the the actual plot of the movie. Yeah. Um. Because we we arrive now at this sort of strange second act or middle part where uh, uh, the the villains put their plot in motion, and at the same time, Rogue has an accident where she almost kills Wolverine because he almost kills her. Oh, I love that too. That was a great scene, though. Yeah, that scene is great because of like him waking up and uh, because it's so Wolverine, but you also don't expect it. Yeah, um, and. I, I made a note when it happened, and then later it seems like they answered the question, and the answer was no. But I thought it was an interesting note, and I want to run it by you, even though you, you would probably agree with the movie and say the answer is no. So he stabs her. She's like, Ugh! and she takes off her glove and touches his cheek, and then she heals. Um, I thought in the moment, because I forgot that later they say... Rogue has like a line of dialogue about it, but I thought in that moment, because no, I, you never see anybody tell Rogue, hey, if you touch a mutant, you will also absorb some of their powers for a bit, right? Xavier tells uh, like Wolverine that information later, but we never see Rogue learn that. Rogue is just like, I know touchy nobody because touchy make bad, right? So that makes sense. She's, she's afraid to touch people. Well, she says it on the train. When I touch people, ba- when I touch people bad things happen. Exactly. So we we never get the sense that she knows. But if I touch a superpowered person, you know, you know that that's not part what she's thinking. She's just thinking I don't touch people. Period. So when she gets stabbed, as I'm sitting there watching her, when she touches Logan's face, I'm thinking, wouldn't it be kind of beautiful and also very sad, but also very touching if like she doesn't know she's going to get his healing powers. She's just thinking I'm about to die screw it, I want human contact before I die. Yeah, like like the kind of fan fiction in me, kind of the where my brain like connects the dots here is like, I think it was an expression of like, like a goodbye moment, like goodbye, because mm-hmm. she was stabbed, right? Like that's that's shocking to the body. Shock- and, and one thing that I love about good superhero like stories is that the superhero needs to test their limits and understand how their powers work. Right. And, and in X-Men, you kind of, the beauty of X-Men is you learn that as like time goes on for each character. Um, but yeah, for Rogue, there's in, in the actual movie narrative, there is no point where someone has told her that that's her power and how her power works. Now off script, you can, you know, have that text analysis moment where you can assume Xavier probably sat her down and said like, Hey, just, you know, I, I, I know you're afraid of your power and I just want to let you know, like, yes, you absorb the life. Like he somehow explained it to her like a doctor would, yeah. um, you know, and then um, maybe Jean Grey did. Maybe Jean Grey told her. Yeah, that's definitely something Jean would do too. Like yeah. similar to what Wolverine went through, right? Like all the medical, the medical stuff, which 
still to this day gets me is when he's lying on the ground and, and G or lying on the bed and Jean Grey puts the needle in and he jumps out. Gets me every single time. I every time they oh it's so good. <laughs> um anyway, so um so yeah, so I, I don't know. Like I just my my brain, the way I think like connecting it is similar to your story, is like she's just like reaching for a goodbye moment and like kind of like a thank you for like you know what you did for me kind of thing. And by touching him, heals and then collapses. Yeah, because that to me is more interesting if it's yeah. an act, like accidental, whatever. But then later when she's talking to who she thinks is Bobby, when it's actually Mystique, when they're on the bench, and he's like, what did you do? Like, everybody's saying you almost killed Logan, whatever. She has this line where she's like, no, no, no. I, I only touched him so I could heal. Blah, blah, I blah. borrowed his yeah, power. Yeah, I borrowed his powers. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's cringy. It's cringy. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, but yeah, speaking of cringe too, I, I felt that the the Gene the Gene Wolverine relationship was a bit forced too. Like it was, it's kind of creepy. Actually, <laughs> to be honest with you, like I, like in in the in the story in in the story in the comics, and even the the cartoon does a good job of kind of catching him up to pace. Uh, but it's 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 she kind of reminds him of just being the kind hearted, you know how kind-hearted people are you know what i mean like because mm -hmm. uh, he liked what's her um in the cartoon they showed uh vindicator's wife being kind to him and he and he takes a liking to her but she's with vindicator right and it's gene gray it's kind of the same relationship is like she helps him but she's with scott right and like this one it's like there's no time for them to even build some sort of rapport before he's just like hey so where's your room like you're like whoa buddy you crossed the line like yeah that's not cool it's, and like like she's like oh yeah it's with scott's like down the hall like mm -hmm. i i i would not expect her to say anything else other than like yeah like i'm with scott you know like that's it but there's like the gene in the show in the cartoon did it better where you could see the struggle of even gene making like you know what wolverine's like 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 he's a he's a he's a guy in pain kind of like a it's a sympathy but then it turns into love kind of thing uh, which i really like and there's a really good story there but this one was really shoehorned in there yeah they they really did take their time with it i mean i get they wanted to go there because it's an interesting x relationship that is part of the whole mythos and they knew fans would appreciate it but yeah you got to pace these things out like he jumps off that hospital bed and he's like i'm in love with you right away well, he uh, smells her he smells her too he's like you know like it's weird it's just weird uh -huh. yeah and, uh, yeah I, mean, no. I know he's been on the road for a long time but come on logan yeah like come on dude and like later on when he gets a medical examination again he's like couldn't wait to get my shirt like it's creepy it's just like like, where's the pain? Where's, like, the gene? You know, like, the yeah. looking at the photo, cutting through the middle. You know, like, all that stuff. Where is it? And but anyway, I going back to it. So, um, so yeah, anyways, they capture Senator Kelly. And I love the welcome to the brotherhood line, though. I mean, mm -hmm. that was a great, oh, yeah, that was a great satisfaction moment. Um, and then, uh, and then, so Rogue, okay, so moving on to the next great scene here, the train scene. I love the train scene. I love it. Yeah. It is it is an X-Men moment on so many layers, okay? So first of all, um, the first X-Men moment was uh, Wolverine finding Rogue and then talking to her. Um, also, we get our first look at Cerebro, which in my mind was a little lackluster. 
Um, it was kind of neat. That's like a giant spherical room. And then he wears the helmet and does the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but overall the effects were really kind of bizarre. I feel like there's something else they could have done. I hate the grays and like the black and white noir kind of zooming through. I don't know how else you would have done it to be honest with you, but, um, it's a tricky concept to adapt. I think if they had spent more time on it, it would have gotten mm-hmm. grading, but for what they gave us, I was like, yeah, this is fine. I get yeah, it. Yeah, it was, it was good. It was good. It was a pass. Uh, the welcome professor thing was kind of weird, but like, I'll, I'll take it. Um, uh, yeah, so they go to the train station and then, you know, Cyclops and Storm are going through there. Uh, and then you see Toad climbing up the walls, which was fun. Uh, but I love Wolverine and Rogue's dialogue about like, hey, like, you know, like, I'm, I'm going to be there to protect you. It's fine. And then Magneto comes in and I love when Magneto floats around. Oh. It, I don't know how they figured it out. But it looks so graceful and it makes sense too because he's he's a man who's mastered his power. And it just the way he floats into a room, it's just so cool. It it just speaks to his villainy so well. And just uh there's a very different way that Magneto floats compared to the way like Superman floats, compared to the way Iron Man hovers. Yeah. Uh it's he's classy. With his floating, I, I don't know. There's just something about it, and you're right. Every time you see him float in this movie, mm. it's just so classy, so classy. And like, and the way Magneto's powers are demonstrated, there's no visual effects other than like him just literally pulling things apart. Mm-hmm. Like he rips the train open. But what I love about it is there's no visual cues to show you that he's doing it. It just the yes. train breaks. Um, and, and I love it. It was such a great choice to demonstrate how his power works. Um, and on top of that, and like, I love how Ian, uh, Sir Ian McKellen, like he would like lift his hand ever so carefully. And then like, and then Wolverine like lifts up and he's like, everything's so subtle. He's like, Oh, metal doesn't run through your entire body. Does it? And he just like, he literally just like waves his fingers ever so carefully. <laughs> so good. Uh, so good. And we got the big reveal where whoever said I wanted you, because turns out he doesn't want Wolverine. Yeah. Uh, the movie tricked us into thinking Wolverine was at the center of it all, but actually he wants Rogue. Uh, because everybody <laughs> seems to know, except Rogue apparently, that if, uh, or maybe Rogue, that if she touches a mutant, she gets their power for a little bit. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a cool choice, and that kind of makes sense now why Rogue's like one of the center you know, uh, protagonists. Yes, yeah. Um, but uh, the one, the, the, in, the, when Toad does the Cyclops thing, blows the hole through the roof, that was wicked just to see Cyclops' full ability, mm-hmm. uh, how, how powerful he is with his eyes. I, Sabretooth, why? I don't get it. That you owe me a scream. It was good. And I, I see like they're going for the creepy card, but like. Well, you see, Ryan, Halle Berry gives this guy a real shock. Yeah. That's what happens here. Uh, I love it. I mean, I love, I, 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 Halle Berry did her homework, actually. You notice she really puts on an accent um, for the character. Uh, It's subtle, but it's Mm -hmm. there. You can hear it. Um, And I love the, yeah, the lightning shooting through her. Yeah. The way she talks, though, too, her speech pattern is, is very, almost similar to Storm from the cartoon, which is, which is a nice touch. Um, yeah, the owe me a scream thing. Like, if you're gonna make see the thing is, is like Sabretooth was teeter tottering on this line of like being the Sabretooth we know versus this reserved one liner, weird henchman like character. 
um in the movie and it was just so weird it was so weird uh, yeah saber being a henchman mm. i don't know i don't i don't remember that happening often and it just it, it doesn't feel right but um I, I mean this is as good a time as any though to talk about storm and cyclops because i think i, I disagree with the people who say that Halle Berry was wasted here. Um, I don't think they wasted her. I think they used her enough, not enough, but like you get a good Cyclops and a good storm. It's just everything about them is happening in the background. They they don't do a poor job of playing these characters because you're right. Halle is, is trying the accent. She's not full on like the J.R.R. Tolkien storm of like lightning wind at my command. Like she's she's not going that far, but mm-hmm. she is uh storm, I would say, is kind of socially awkward, right? She doesn't have the greatest sense of humor, she's just kind of there. Um well you know why and, she does that though, eh? When she calls out to the weather. Why? And the, it, this is where my brother this is what my brother told me from the comics. Because she was raised in Africa, uh uh they didn't know what mutants were. They had no concept ah. of mutants. So they thought she was a goddess incarnate, like in That's human right. form. So they would always go to her and she actually took advantage of it uh, to a point where she was like a bad person for a while. Um, but but people would go to her and be like, I need rain for my crops. Like, mm-hmm. you know, can you call the gods to do it? And thus she would call out, rain, heed my call. And then it would rain. That's cool. See, and that's great backstory Never known. Never known. And obviously they don't go that route, but there's there's a lot happening with Storm. It's just happening in the background. And the same can be said for James Marsden as Cyclops. I mean, that's a thankless role, getting cast as Cyclops, especially (laughs) at that point in time, right? (laughs) Like maybe today in the modern, modern day, they might, treat Cyclops with a bit more respect and give him kind of something worthwhile and juicy. But for a long, long time, he was a punchline. He was the the dorky boy scout that Wolverine makes fun of. And the kids watching the cartoon are like, yeah, take that Cyclops, you stupid dork. Uh, so this movie is being made and coming out at that time when that's how Cyclops is viewed. And they still take those little pot shots, like in the second movie, when they boot up his car, he's got NSYNC playing, like all these these fun little digs that like <laughs> Cyclops is lame. But James Mars, then again, it's all happening in the background, but he is keeping with the integrity of the character where he loves Gene and he loves this team, this family that the professor's given him. And when the professor's out in his coma, Scott's like, whatever happens, I'll take care of them. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's Cyclops. Like they did not go wrong with Cyclops. They just... Mm-hmm have him a very he and storm are just being really subtle and just doing their thing off on their own yeah you know cyclops has one really endearing moment and and that moment where xavier's in a coma from the whatever mystique did to cerebro thing (laughs) i don't know what she did put root beer in the (laughs) yeah she turned it into a root beer float and then he was like oh my god my my memories of a and w Brain freeze. Um, yeah, so, but yes, uh, you're right. Uh, James Marsden was actually a great casting for Cyclops. He looked he looked like Cyclops. Like, it was yeah. really well done. Um, yeah, it's a thankless role. <laughs> it's, it's, 
I mean, sorry, that's way too on the nose. And I, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta move on. Cause like, I, I just want to keep the pace going here, but it's just so funny. And uh, the more I think about it, um, I actually, my dream, my dream casting for Cyclops is Joel Kinnaman. Uh, I think he would be such a, right. I think his name is Joel Kinnaman. Uh, but he would be such a great Cyclops. He has the build. He's got the, he's got the, the, the kind of the tone that Cyclops has, but he's what I call a Captain America in learn, like learning to be a Captain America. He doesn't make the perfect choices, but he makes choices based on like those critical moments and what he thinks is the best for the team. And the problem is, is like, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't listen a lot to the team. He just takes his entitlement of being a leader and just leads them. And that's not, may not be the best thing to it, but at the same time, he does have good ideas. It's just, again, he's just a leader in training. Like he's, he's trying to figure it out. And yeah, um, you, you see it better in the cartoon for sure. Uh, Storm. Yeah. Like again, she, I think it's one of those things where this movie, if they really wanted to play out her story, they, they really did a good job of planting the seed of the character in, in the first one. And then in the second one, if you had time as, as opposed to making it pure Wolverine story, uh, you could fit time into building her character and giving her more, you know, more of a spotlight to it. Yeah, and I want to bring that up later. And I want to bring up that the concept. Let's of just do it the way you time. want to do, clearly. You just don't <laughs> want to talk about it now. That's fine. <laughs> uh, because but you talked about the train station scene, and I think we have to give props to the, the conflict of Professor X inhabiting Sabretooth. Yeah. And, and like, oh, I love that. Yeah. You gotta press your luck, Charles. Like, that isn't that the the coolest way to do Xavier versus Magneto, right? Actually, like not a any, single punch any Xavier well. versus Magneto scene is brilliant. Like, yeah, yeah. I love, and again, I love how Magneto just like flips the cars with such ease. Like, just I love that. Like that whole yes. action sequence. Yeah, but it's every time they have these like moments of uh, dialogue between them, it feels like a chess match. Every mm -hmm. every single one, and it, it's beautiful because it ends in chess match. Um, but the first, it's like, you know, I'm making my move. I'm going to bring you hope, buddy. And that's, that's the first one, right? The yeah. train station scene's perfect. Cause it's like, they literally go at it. They literally go at it. And like, Charles can easily, you know, get a guy to choke him out. Like, just like that. And, and Magneto's like, all right, well, if we're playing that way, let's play it by your rules. And then like, you know, shoots, turns the guns all around on the guys and shoots the bullet. Ah, it's just like it, it was poetry in motion is, is the best way to describe it. Mm. And I love, again, the subtleties. Like you can really learn a lot from how they use their powers visually in these movies. Um, and Magneto, what I love about it is like the gentle lift and the cars like go flying through the air. But I love the guns when he literally just winks and like the oh. bullet stops right on the guy. And I love that line. Care to press your luck, Charles? I don't think I could stop them all. Like, that's... Oh, so good. I feel like that actor, too, that police officer with the bullet on his face, he's become big now, that actor. I think he's from something. Like he's, Is he? he's He's got a familiar face. I don't know. I should have looked him up before. Mm -hmm. um, but regardless, the bad guys take Rogue, and Wolverine's all pissed off, and then Senator Kelly comes and knocks him, and he's a jellyfish man now. Uh, and he dies on the table. Uh, mm -hmm. So it turns out that Magneto's plan is pretty bad. 
because it's not only going to mutate everybody who's a human, but it's going to kill them too. Yeah. I, I love that scene. I think it was way too soon. I think they should have, I don't know, kept Senator Kelly. It's for some, for like, they just should have kept him there for now. And like, he just struggled with it for a while because that scene is so well delivered, but it's not earned. I don't think it's an earned scene because I love the dialogue between him and Storm. And it, mm -hmm. I think it makes sense because, don't get me wrong, it makes sense because of the movie's story arc about, like, are mutants dangerous? And then he turns out to be one of them. And then he gets the firsthand perspective of, like, the mutant side of the story. Um, and I love that he talks to, to Rogue or talks to Storm. And he's like, hey, like, I don't want to die alone. And he's like, um, you know, are you afraid of humans? Or no, uh, you know, do you hate humans? And she's like, well, you know, I'm afraid of them. And and I love his last, I think Senator Kelly's last line is, is like, well, now you have one less human to be afraid of. Yeah. And then he turns into gobbledygook. Uh, but yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. Um, but I think it was a bit rushed. I, I think there, it was, it was, it was the right scene, but it wasn't, it was way too soon. Would you have kept him for one more movie or like kept him till later in the movie? Yeah, I, I would have loved to have had that for one more movie because the real resolution here is like they stopped Magneto. They prevented humans from turning into mutants, but there's still the lingering problem, right? Which is like people are afraid of mutants. And then the real, the real win at the end should have had that moment where he's like, well, now you got one last one to be afraid of. And then you have, then you cut to the TV scene where you know you see Senator Kelly being like, "I was wrong," and it's Mystique, and it's it's kind of, it connects it connects the rhythm a bit bit better, but because it happened before, it kind of the the whole climactic battle of the Statue of Liberty, which is so metal, by the way. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, it was just like the right way to go. And I, I again, some of the dialogue in this, like if David Hayter wrote some of these lines, man. He knew the comics super well because um, I love the scene with Rogue. She's like, uh, uh, he's like looking at Statue of Liberty. He's like, I saw it. She's like, yeah, I've seen it. And he's like, I saw it when it was first there. And he's like, you know what it was for? It was to demonstrate a land of tolerance. And she's like, are you going to hurt me? And he's like, yes. And she's yes. like, why? He's like, because this isn't a land of tolerance. Like, it's such a villain line. It's uh -huh. so good. It's so Shakespearean. In terms of like telling an X-Men story, I loved it. Yeah, that's that's one of my notes for like Ian McKellen's best piece of acting in this movie. And it's a tough choice to make. But I think it's when she asked him, like, are you going to kill me? And the way he just looks at her and just matter of factly goes, yes. Right. Like that's that's when you know, oh, this guy can't be reasoned with now. He seemed like he had an OK head on his shoulders, but no, we're dealing with a maniac. Yeah, uh, and I mean Logan calls him out on it later. Like you're full of shit because if you were really so righteous, it'd be you in that thing. And he has no comeback for that. He just kind of gives him a look and is like, "Hey, I'm gonna gracefully float out of frame now, right? Because <laughs> I got, I can't. You know, you trumped me with that one, Canadian man." So, uh, I love that. I, I also love the imagery that he's he's flying over the Statue of Liberty and then the fireworks yes. are all shooting off in the background. Um, yeah, no, absolutely, but it. But some of the like some of the lines in this movie really speak to the story of X Men, and it, it's kind of kind of crappy that it has to live in that kind of movie. But like, and don't get me wrong, it's not a terrible movie. I'm I'm being a little harsh here, but it's for for it being a first modern superhero movie. Those are some great lines. Those yeah. are like, whew. and I mean, 
don't think of it as harshness because you're you were right off the top, man. This is a movie with some great scenes that is a still pretty flawed movie. Yeah. And I think we're going to realize on the next episode of this that you know this had to walk so X2 could run. But yes, there, there is th- this clumsiness was bound to happen. Um and when when we give it our infinity ranking, I'll I'll kind of explain what I think could have helped it. Maybe I don't yeah. know. Like if there's one thing that could have helped it, um, but you're gonna do how many claws does this movie rate? Is Ooh, one or six? <laughs> I, I do like claws. I think that's a good idea. There. <laughs> um, but so the X Men rush off to save Rogue, and there's something. Can you tell that there's something missing here, Ryan? When the X Men get in the blackbird and they go off to go help rogue there there's something missing that would one million percent be there if this was a modern movie i'm thinking too much about my moment during the scene where they fly over but um what's missing what's missing what's missing maybe maybe the actual music (laughs) oh i mean you're not wrong like absolutely they could have done it they could have done it there they could have played the metal music right uh, especially because I think the first shot of the cartoon intro is the Blackbird, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but no, what's missing is a hero shot of them all in their costumes for the first oh, time. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah. I mean, we, we get the moment of making fun of the costumes, of uh, yellow spandex and all that, which, yes, 24 years later, we would all prefer yellow spandex. Um <laughs> But there's never a moment. Which is of, funny because the the photos of Wolverine released for Deadpool three, and he's wearing the yellow. Spandex. There you go. It only took a quarter of a century to get us here. <laughs> but there's never a shot of like, we've suited up. We are the X Men. It's literally like, okay, he's going to Ellis Island, and then they're just they're there in in the Blackbird with their suits, and he's like, oh, this is tight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's a strange omittance. It wasn't back then. But it is now because of, you know, now there's a language to superhero movies and this didn't speak it in that scene. Well, so. you know, you talk about something missing and, and I think you're right. I think the two, the, the moment I was thinking of was the call out like, oh, what do you prefer? Yellow Spandex? Mm. Like, um, God damn Cyclops. But, um, <laughs> but I think those two moments are related because they're trying to show you that this isn't a, this isn't a campy superhero film. But at the same time, you know, again, you have to like by saying what do you prefer yellow spandex is such a slap in the face to all the history that the comics brought you to this moment. Mm-hmm. And you're literally like, well, forget that. Like this is the new X-Men, right? Like and yeah. it's it's really awkward. Like Daredevil's costume is a perfect example, right? Like, you know, like they found a perfect blend to make it like nowadays. Captain America's costumes are probably the prime example of like why you should stick with, you know, the classic, the classic look and feel like his, honestly, his uh, winter soldier uniform or even his Avengers age of Ultron uniform is like, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. Um, But the whole point of the spandex was to demonstrate the physicality that these heroes have because the, the next closest thing is Olympians. And what Olympians yeah. wear? Spandex. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, but yes, that's why we didn't get this like X-Men hero moment. Um, but speaking of hero moments, 
We did get a hero moment uh, in the fight with Wolverine and Sabretooth on top of Savage of Liberty. Uh, in my opinion, yes, some cheesy moments there with him like holding on to the, the crown and then doing his little 360 motion there. But it's a brutal fight. Um, it it uh, Also, the fight within um, Ellis Island uh the uh the fight inside there with mystique and wolverine's like a, a great fight scene by the way i actually took a note because that kick she does where she jumps in the air and turns from wolverine to mystique and then lands the kick um, that kick became famous in x-men games uh post that one in fact there was a great uh 3d x-men fighting game i can't remember uh, involved Bastion. I just can't remember what it's called. It's a fighting uh, game. Yeah, it was a fighting game. But they use that kick, and of course, you're going to abuse the, the crap out of it because uh, it looks so fun to do. Um, I think it was in the trailers too. Yeah, I, I, it's going to kill me. I'm going to. I'll take a minute to see if I can figure it out. But anyways, um, yeah, the I hated. I, I like Toad. Actually, you know what? No, I don't want to say I hated Toad because I didn't. I love Toad, and I'll tell you why. Toad's a perfect character and a perfect reason why Marvel movies today need to do more of characters like that. And I'll tell you yes. why. Because the fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter how much time that character gets. It's the fact that the character is there. Because yes. he is a key member of the Brotherhood. He's been around for ages. So it was, yeah, okay, if you're going to do a modern movie, cool, whatever. But you could still have Toad be in the band. And like, though he might not have a big part, it's still nice to have him be there. And it was fun to see him do it's I mean, the love Ray Park, you know, Darth Maul and do all that stuff. But like, um, yeah, it was a fun character to have and just do toad like things like, sure, why not? But like Sabretooth is too big of a character to sideline him the way you did, because, mm -hmm. again, he's just there's so much history there. Like if you were going to do uh, if you're going to have a character like that, then don't use Sabretooth. Use somebody else. Um, because again, you, you could have done something different. Um, don't ask me who else you could have done, but yeah, it's, it's you like, for example, if you're going to do that, you could have put juggernaut in that very same position. And I know we get juggernaut later, but like, my point is, is like, you, just the way you're using the character is like, you could have put anyone in those shoes and not given them the breadth of the story they, they, they deserve. Yeah. Um, no, Toad, I think they played him well. And I mean, Ray Park's having so much fun. He's just, he's loving it. He loves that he gets to be in these movies. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking as I'm watching this now, I'm like, we don't have, at least I don't think we have, a modern day equivalent of Ray Park. Like a guy you call if you want somebody to basically play a person who can do Jedi-like things with his body. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, yeah. I don't think we have that anymore. There's no go-to guy in Hollywood for that or go-to girl. There's not that I know of. Oh, it was X-Men Mutant Academy was the game. Mutant Academy. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that one. But that they adopted the the famous kick that we saw in the in the, mm, in the movie. Cool. But uh, you know, and it's fun to it was fun to see the characters, you know, have some X-Men moments like Wolverine totally ripping on Cyclops. Yeah. I mean, yes, Cyclops got a lot of punches, but when it was done with Wolverine, it was done right. You know, like, hey, it's me. And he's like, prove it. He's like, you're a dick. Like that, yeah. like it's it's so good. Um, and again, that's the whole, the movie of it all where you elevate it. It's like, yeah, we, we grew up watching those two hate each other. Now let's see them hate each other with some bad words because it's yeah. the movie, right? <laughs> it's so true. 
Um, but yeah, and then the the climactic final battle there it was it was fun. I love to see Wolverine struggle and try to you know claw the thing out. But mm-hmm. the, the way he takes out uh, Mystique too is is great. Mm-hmm. Like that whole like you're not part of the group. Oh like that was, yeah, that, yeah, that was even more satisfying than the way they took out Magneto, mm-hmm. right? Like just that you can hear him sniffing. He knows it's it's not really strong. Oh yeah, no, um, I, I, I totally forgot that part too. That was so good. She's like, "We need to get back to the group." He's like, "Yeah, there's just one problem," and it's that actually got me too. I was like, "Oh snap!" And like, I I I I, I knew something had to be up, but at the same time, there still was some minor shock value of like, "Yo, you just stabbed yeah. Storm." Like, oh, and then her hair turns red, and you're like, "Oh, that's not Storm. You fooled me." Yeah, um, yeah, me. But. Take that line, Ryan. You're not part of the group. I want you to take the line and hang on to it for a minute. Okay? Like yeah. put a put a pin in that line. So so we're at the, the climax now. Rogue's in the machine. They find a way to get Logan up there by having her shoot him with the wind. Um, and he, he goes up there and, and he saves Rogue by destroying the machine. Cyclops shoots Magneto, and it's all good in the hood. Uh, and the music that's playing during this climax, both during the whole moment of like, I can't get to the machine because Magneto's trying to stop me. And then the whole moment after of like, don't die, Rogue, don't die. Like, come on, here, touch my face. The music is just, it's that meme of the guy playing the piano and the piano's on fire on the beach. Like it's, they're killing it. So I looked up the composer, whose name is Michael Common, and I didn't recognize the name. So I'm like, okay, what other stuff has this guy done? Because his music was really good. And I felt like such a dum-dum for not, because I'm the type of person who likes to know composers. Like, I want to know what their work is. Yeah. And, and Ryan, this guy, has done the music for Brazil, Highlander, the first three diehards. Wow. And all four lethal weapons. What? Right. Like, I he's totally not been on my radar, but... Yeah, this was some good stuff that he did. That's some history. That's uh, that's some deeply rooted history in, in movie composing. Uh-huh. And that's just, you know, the tip of the IMDb iceberg. Those are just like the first ones I saw that there's so much more there. Um, but yeah, he, he crushed it, especially during this climax. Not mm. so much in the opening credits. <laughs> but, yeah. um, so uh, everything is fine. Mystique is not dead, though. No. Um. Wolverine is given a clue about his past, and we, in turn, are given some sequel bait that we know that part two is probably going to involve him going to Canada, roughing up some Mounties or something. Uh, so he's going back to Alkali Lake, which is a mm. reference to where Department H was. Yes. Uh, and he says goodbye to Rogue, who has the white hair now, and she kind of lacks it. Um, and that's our movie. Why did, why did she need white hair? Why? Why on God's green earth? They like if you're trying to tell if you're trying to convince me that like, hey, we did this movie for both fans and drawing in new people, then why? Oh, why did you make her have the white strand of hair? I get the character does in the comic. I get that. I get that. But we're also not dealing with the storm who can fly and you know bend things with her arms because she's super strong. So why did we need to sprinkle in the fact that she gets a white strand of hair? Is it because Magneto's now part of her? Is that what we're trying to illustrate? Because I got that. She, she said that out loud earlier, is that the, the, these things stay with her to, the, to a point where she absorbs 
to to a point where her hair turned white? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I mean, I'm not complaining because she is my second favorite X-Man, so I just wanted her yeah, to be I as love much like the, the cartoon, cartoon as possible. I love it. I love yeah. her. In the movies, Anna Paquin did a great job. It's just that I, I personally think the script in the movie was kind of against her as a character. I'm just saying. Yeah, that, that's the thing. It's like that rogue is not the most interesting rogue. Uh, and they they just they needed that like you said like that jubilee character or I think even in the comics it's it's the Kitty Pride character the one yeah. who just gets introduced to everything uh, and they used it as Rogue because of the whole machine thing but I I can tell already going through these movies is going to reinforce my need more than ever that when she shows up in the MCU she's got to be full on like already a grown woman not a teenager full-on like sugar let's go i'm gonna fly around and do yeah. something like I, I i want my rogue now <laughs> yeah hell yeah you do absolutely <laughs> i couldn't agree more so give me that give me the the you know the leather jacket wearing mm, you know uh yes, you know, green and uh, yellow you uh what is it unitard uh yeah like leot leotard Leotard? Leotard. Yeah, she can be, uh, like, I, I can totally picture they'll they'll give her a suit like the kind that Captain Marvel has, like a like a, a bodysuit, like a fighting bodysuit. All good. Just make her green and yellow. Yeah. And, and give her the accent. Give her the know. loose belt on the, the hips. Yeah. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. And then we get the great chess scene, which today would be a post-credit scene. And I'm glad it's not. I'm glad it's there. Yeah. Um, yeah and, again, what an awesome way to close out a movie. Well, it ends on a it ends on a greater argument, which is like, hey, if you think you can live with them, what happens when someone's going to come to your school and like, you know, start wrecking wrecking things? Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, I feel a great deal of misfortune for that person. Yes. And it's, but it's it's a great because here's what's great about this writing and and this this villain this villain here uh, this villain hero relationship when there's respect. What I love about it is. The X-Men won that battle, but it doesn't doesn't solve the biggest problem of all, which is like, will they be accepted? Mm -hmm. And that is one of the best, the best story arcs for those two characters. Because in the end, that, that question may never be answered. Never. Right. You know, at Days of Future Past, it doesn't look good for them, in fact. It looks worse. Um, but that's, that's because uh, I think the whole story of Days of Future Past was because of Xavier getting killed. But my point is is that it's a it's 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 the battle wages on. And that's that's what I love about it. Is like Xavier didn't really win. No one no one won. It just that moment was prevented. Yeah. Magneto's plan was prevented, but that but no one won. That's a good way to put it. Mm. Right? Because it's it's not that kind of story. It's not a story yeah. of you win or lose, right? And it's ongoing. Um and I love this plastic prison. That's such a great set piece. Uh, so much so that they use it more in part two, which is great. And even this speech of when they're playing chess, uh, like I feel a great swell of pity for whoever comes to that school looking for trouble. They use that in the trailer for part two. Do you remember? Oh, they that's show, right. Yes. They, yes. they show like the, the SEAL team that's coming oh, into the school. Oh, that scene so bad. <laughs> it's just like... Basically, the trailer is telling you like somebody's going to come to that school looking for trouble, and ah, what a way to tie it in! Yeah, Wolverine comes flying through the air. Oh, my yeah. God. so that's X Men One 
And Ryan, what were your thoughts visiting this again? And yeah, how many claws are you going to give it from zero to six? No, it's it's from zero to X. Yeah, zero to you X. have six, That's but then when you cross, them. yes, yes, beautiful. Um, so I I would say overall, don't get me wrong, this movie needed to exist. It needed to because again, it really paved the way for how we can see superhero movies. And there are some solid, like when the scenes are good, they are, that's, that's, that's the theme of this movie. When it's good, it's amazing. When yeah. it's bad, it's, it's worse. Yeah. But there's, but yeah, it's just like, oh my God, they hit so hard on so many good notes. Um, and so for me, uh, you know, looking at that criteria, uh, I would say it's about, I would say it's about like, Four to five claws. I would give it that. It's four or five. Four or five. I'm not. I'm not concrete on the number. Four or five. Anything you would add or subtract to this film that to you would have elevated it another claw or two? I would have changed the Doomsday Weapon, first of all. Let her ah, know. okay. I love the battle on Statue of Liberty. I think that was a really smart way to do it. Um, I really think that uh, they could have done something better utilizing the same scenario. Like, hey, everyone, all these important people are going to be on the summit. Uh, but like something, I don't know. Like Shaw in X-Men First Class had a smart plan was to use yes. uh was to use radiation to speed up the evolution process uh and he was willing to wipe out half of humanity to have that happen like mm -hmm. thus the the rise and the so poetically said children of the atom um so i would change that i would also i would also elevate the storyline between Sabretooth and wolverine and have him have flashbacks of him being a part of the weapon x program because if you're going to lean into, you can't you can't just stand on the shallow end of the pool with that. If you're going to lean in, you need to lean in. Um, the cartoon did it best, and they made sure you knew it because I'm pretty sure they recycled that same scene. Ooh, I'd say at least twenty times in the show. Like, <laughs> like man, if I I wish I I might actually do a count one day of how many times they go through that same scene where he's in the tank. He has the helmet on, he goes, and then breaks out the glass, and he runs out, and all that stuff. But yeah, like, if you're going to lean into that scene, you need to start right out of the gate. Like, have him haunted by these memories he can't understand. And Sabretooth knows who he is, and he, if Wolverine at least doesn't, at least Sabretooth does. And yes. Sabretooth's, like, saying things that cue his memory. Um, there's a really cheesy Steven Seagal movie that does it really well. Um, I think it's called Hard to Kill, but uh, this gang uh, that that goes out to kill him, um, they 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 end up almost killing him, and he can't yeah. remember can't remember who got him. But the guy has a catchphrase, and the catchphrase starts to rejig his memory, which is you could take that to the bank. And he's like, That's and right. that guy's like running for mayor, and he's like, huh? That's right, so familiar, right? But why can't Sabretooth have that? Like him saying runt, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, I got you now, runt. 
that like starts to cue his memory. Like something like that would have really helped balance the movie. Other than that, like, yeah, I'm fine with Storm having like a okay, like just being around, being in the, you know, being in the scenes a little bit. Um, really connecting, being that bridge between like, you know, Senator Kelly and her. All fine with that. Jean Grey, totally fine with that. Cyclops, sure, let's make him a punching bag. But if you're going to have Wolverine be in the story, you need to have him in the story. Yeah. At least include, mm-hmm. like with, with, with Sabretooth, like make that be more of a thing than just he's a minion. Yeah, uh, like keep the integrity of, of his relationship to Logan. Yeah, I would I would also just wrap up by saying as well, um, you know, I they don't need the Doomsday weapon. I would love to see just the escalation between the Friends of Humanity versus uh, mm-hmm. versus uh, versus the mutants. And in fact, like they did it in one of my favorite stories in the X Men cartoon. Again, if the, the cartoon does it better, right? Um, was uh, I think it was called Beauty and the Beast. And it's when Beast fixes the girl's uh, eyesight. Yeah. But what I loved about it was Creed was like leading this campaign of like the friends of humanity and like trying to push Senator Kelly to like, you know, like, hey, like, you know, humanity, rah, rah, rah. And in the end, I love that in the end, they just expose him as a mutant, being the son of a mutant. And yeah. then like, that's it. Like, it's it's such a great comic book conflict. It's so perfect. It is. And I think Sabretooth kills him, right? He's like, ah, you're my boy. Like, no, I, I can't. I don't think he was there. Uh, I, he wasn't there. It was just they put on a hologram uh, of okay. Sabretooth. They said his known uh, known um, prodigy is uh, is uh, Creed, you know, Creed. Or Creed or whatever. Yeah. So, okay. So you got four or five plots from you. I like that. Um, cause I'm, I'm right between you there, buddy. I'm giving it 4.5 claws yeah. out of seven. Uh, <laughs> the, no, it's six or six X. or X. You have to say the X out of six or X. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think what this movie needs, what it's missing is it has a very, very short act two. Yeah. And normally in story structure, act two is usually the longest act. But here it's, it's flipped around. And here act two is literally just um, Rogue gets stabbed. She freaks out. She runs away. The train station happens. That's act two. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Because then after that, it's Statue of Liberty time. I feel like what this movie needed, and to the shock of nobody who knows me, what I'm going to propose would make the movie significantly longer, but it would help is we needed a second act where it's rogue and Logan discovering the world of the X-Men and the wonder of what that world is. This movie has very little wonder uh, to what the X-Men are and what they do. Mm -hmm. Uh, The closest we ever come is when the blackbird is taking off and like they're they're about to pull up and come out of the basketball court, and Logan just goes, "Whoa!" Uh, like that to me sells a lot of the wonder of the X Men because here's a guy Logan who we know is like this guy has jumped off cliffs, he races motorcycles, whatever. If that guy is saying "Whoa," you know it's a big deal, right? So we needed more of that. We needed more of him being like, "Holy crap! This this is incredible! What's going on here?" And we need to see that through his eyes and through Rogue's eyes. Because the movie started off by basically telling us this man is hurt 
and has no home and no family. And this girl is hurt because she's afraid to have a home and a family. So we needed to get to a point where at the end of the movie, they've closed that arc and she's no longer afraid and he's no longer as hurt. And we do kind of get that, but more time spent with them would have been really, really powerful. And I, I think the best, uh, we're going to take the pin out of that, that line now, Ryan, that we talked about earlier, which is you're not part of the group, right? Imagine if we had a whole second act of the movie where Logan and the X-Men go on a mission. Maybe it involves Magneto and say, maybe it's totally unrelated. Maybe it's like, oh man, that blob guy is robbing a bank or whatever. And Xavier's like, hey, this is what we do when mutants get out of line we step in too, because we don't want people to be afraid of us. And Logan suits up and goes with the X-Men and we get to see the hero moment of everybody getting in their suits. Um, but this is his first time with them and we see, oh, he's not a team player. He's being rude to Cyclops. He's not listening to Storm. He's being creepy around Gene, whatever, right? All these little things that we build on and build on and show like how he hates this. He doesn't like them. He hates being this X-Man because he thinks it's stupid, whatever, and all that. So that when we get to that moment where he's defending his friends and he knows his friends so well that he can smell the air and be like, you're not part of the group because I know my group and I love my group. Then that can become a whole thing and we can be like, wow, yeah. And we don't get that because we didn't spend the time, enough time in that world and seeing him interact with it. And the same can be said for Rogue. We don't, her playing foosball with those kids, we didn't spend enough time with her being too afraid to play foosball with those kids. And I think just a few more minutes of runtime in that world and seeing their flaws would have helped us see them turn over a new leaf in a way more powerful way. Does that make oh, sense? Yeah. No, I, I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head, man. That's it's beautiful. I mean, you know, already when you were saying too, like they didn't get a moment to see like what it's like to be part of the X-Men or mm -hmm. see how X-Men make a difference. Um, and, you know, a perfect scene of that uh, for Jubilee was the night of the Sentinels. And, and when yes. she's at the mall and you see Rogue and Storm, you know, do their thing. And then Cyclops is the last one. And she's like, who are you? And he's like, Cyclops, get down, you know, and <laughs> blows the knee out of the, out of the Sentinel. Um and uh but yeah like even gambit like gambit's just this like kind of like aloof sleazy character but like it, again you see him try to help the girl and she's like how are you doing that and he's like wistab d wistab <laughs> like there's so many it's such a beautiful snapshot moment of the x-men and and we didn't get that in this because the the punchline is is that like what did you prefer yellow spandex right mm -hmm. you've got this kind of really kind of gritty I don't even know what to call them, but like mercenary team, like I, yeah, it's, it's, it's bizarre, but I think you, you nailed it. You nailed it by saying like, you know, one is hurt, you know, it doesn't know, doesn't never, never had a family. One's hurt, you know, lost a family. Right. So it's kind of have them meet in the middle and meet this new family. That is the X-Men and, and Wolverine's journey much later on, especially in, even in the cartoon, you see him really get protective of, of the X-Men. Yeah, he really cares about them. Like he really cares about them. Yeah, so that that could have been in there. Yeah, if we'd spent, I mean, you'd probably have to add another 15, 20 minutes to the runtime, but I think it would have been worth it. 
Uh, it's definitely something that I think an MCU film would do because they're not shy about having longer movies. Uh, yeah. We would have definitely had that big second act of taking them to their lowest point so that it's all the more satisfying when they come out of it on the other side. Because uh, as it stands right now, their lowest point in this movie was Wolverine basically saying, I'm going to go look for Rogue. I don't like you guys. And Storm's like, choose a side. And he's like, eh, whatever. Like, it, it's not a strong low point, And it's undercut right away by Senator Kelly popping in. Um, yeah. So that that's why I feel like, that's what I feel like this movie's missing. Yeah. Most. It's just, it's a little bit of a chunkier second half, uh, second act rather. But definitely what this movie accomplishes, it like despite like my lack of love for Sabretooth, is you have some great people in great roles. And it's like yes. you have all this groundwork that you've created and you could like you could do some amazing stuff and, and which leads me to like the next one. Whew, you're definitely right. They definitely <laughs> walked they walked with the first one, but they ran with the second one. Mm-hmm. They learned and they were like, Okay, here we go. Uh, and I mean, this is a movie that begs for a sequel anyway, because there's so many characters and so much lore. Uh, so I, I'm glad this is what it is because it led to some great stuff down the road. Uh, but Ryan, that's our first X-Men movie. Yep. That it is. We did it. Only 12 more to go. Whoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm very excited for the next one. I, I X2 is definitely one of my favorites um, oh. for a lot of reasons, and we'll we'll talk about it. Perfect. All right, I'm looking forward to it, sir. In the meantime, where can people find you? As always, you can find me currently on YouTube on the uh, Microsoft Expert Zone channel, as where I uh, do a lot of cool videos uh, for Microsoft. And uh, please support that, as that's actually my income. <laughs> so <laughs> the more you support that, the better I uh, the better I get to keep working. So and doing cool, creative things. So thank you so much for that, and uh, appreciate your support. Yes, everybody support him. He is single handedly making Xbox cool. Without him, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, uh, and you can find me on Instagram and Andrew Fantasia, and on Twitter at the same handle. Uh, but more importantly, you can find me on Amazon, where my self published fantasy novels, We Were Wizards are available now for your reading pleasure. Uh, they are fantasy the way fantasy ought to be, if I may say so. I love these guys. And you can get them right now on Amazon. So check those out anytime you like. And that helps me out a lot because that's how I get paid, kind of. Uh, but until next time, until X2, we bid everybody. Should we have a different sign-off, Ryan, instead of have a marvelous day? <laughs> should we say I something think- else? Uh, externally yours? I don't know. <laughs> what do they, does, does Professor X say anything where he's like, okay, team, mm-hmm. our meeting is over? I don't think he does. No, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. For some reason, I'm getting all blurry now. My camera's being weird. Oh. Um, but yeah, I don't, I think, I think they, I always remember them saying, let's move X Men or something like that. Or uh, hear me, my X Men. That's, mm. that's what Xavier would say. But I don't know if they have like a like a rally cry, you know? Yeah, that could be a, that could be a closer. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I think Jean Grey yells "Cowabunga" a lot, if I remember. <laughs> uh, well, until we come up with a better one, and until we see you here for X Two, please everybody have a marvelous day. Da-na-na-na-na-na-na.